thank you for being here today. We're so glad that you're here. And thank you, David, for that update. That's pretty amazing. I, I agree with what he said. If you would have said, we can pay off $1.1 million in um, the next four years, that would have been a hill to look at. And then a pandemic hit in the midst of that. And then God is still so good through your generosity. So thank you. It's been a great morning worshiping with you already. I was going to start with a story of a time where I was adventurous, uh, but I really couldn't think of one. I'm really not an adventurous guy. Like, um, I went in a hot air balloon once and, uh, there was a bench in it. And if you sat on the bench, you couldn't see out of the basket. So you didn't really want to sit on the bench, but my brother, I guess the bench was there to stand on it, which made me even more nervous because my brother stood on it. And then I felt like the basket wasn't high enough to be a rail. So my fear of heights was like, I need to stand further back and like crouch down to compensate for what he's doing. And the best moment of the hot air balloon ride was when um, we landed and I was back on solid ground. That was pretty awesome. Um, not really an adventurous guy. Hey, we're going through the book of Matthew as a church. We've been going through the entire book of Matthew. And one of the things I like about going through an entire book is you hit passages that normally don't lend themselves to pulling them out and teaching on some of the normal things we like to teach on, right? Like they just don't fit on the back of a t-shirt. If you pulled some of the verses out of certain passages and put them on the back of a t-shirt, you would be, people would be like, who is the, like, what are you thinking? But we know the authors of these books put these passages in there for some reason, right? There's still something that we can take out of them. And so Matthew was writing to a community that was in conflict. It was probably around 70 AD that Matthew was writing what he wrote, and, uh, and it came out um, at the time Jerusalem had been, the temple had been destroyed, Jewish people and Jewish Christians were relocating to new places. They were getting new leaders. So there was a lot of conflict there. And then some people thought they should attack Rome and some people thought they shouldn't attack Rome. And so again, just a lot of conflict going on at the time the book of Matthew is released. And so today we're going to read um, out of Matthew 15 and we're going to start out in verse 21. If you would like to follow along. It says, oh, by the way, Right before this, Jesus had just finished walking on water, um, which would have been an easier passage to preach on, but that's not what we got today. He had just finished walking on water at the Sea of Galilee. And so it says, leaving that place, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. I want to put up a map here. Oh, good. In the back, it just says map, but there is actually a map here. Good. <laughs> so if you look at this region, um, the three sections, the orange, the blue, and the yellow here on the left would have been what Israel. That was the area of Israel. And so Jesus went from there. The Sea of Galilee is up. Um, next to the yellow is the, you can see that body of water there. Um, that's the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up far up to Tyre and Sidon. They're over there in the section that are not colored. So they're just in gray sections. 
right? I put it in, I put this in Google Maps and um, found a church along the Sea of Galilee. It was called the Church of the Fish and the Loaves. Following this story, actually Jesus goes and he turns a few fish and a few loaves into a lot of fish and a lot of loaves at the Sea of Galilee. So now there's a church there called the Church of the Fish and the Loaves. So I put that into Google Maps. Then I went up to Tyre. I zoomed in on Tyre and I found a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Tyre, plotted that. There was also a Popeyes. I could have chose Popeyes. So whatever one, if you ever find yourself in Tyre, you have options. Um, I plotted the KFC there and then I, I zoomed into Sidon and there was also a KFC there. And so I plotted that and then I turned Google Maps over to the walking mode. And this would have been about a 30 hour walk with the path that I took. And I couldn't figure out how to get Google Maps to take exactly the most direct path. But I would guess back then it was kind of hard to figure out the most direct path too, right? So this is the context of where Jesus was and where Jesus is going. And you see when he crossed that yellow line into the, into the tan, he was leaving Israel and he was entering pagan land. There was no, it was not the land of God. And when he met the Canaanite woman, the term Canaanite meant everything that was dangerous to the faith of Israel. So this woman that he meets leans into him because she knows this is special that he's here, right? So she says, Lord, which is a term Gentiles would have used. So they would have said Lord. But then she says, son of David, which is surely a term that people in her area would not have used. People in her area we're not calling Jesus son of David. That, she was saying, hey, I know you're here from Israel. I'm going to use your words here. She says, my daughter is suffering terribly. Picking up in verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. All of a sudden, this feels like Jesus is like temporarily holding back his grace for this woman, right? Like, oh, I thought this was going to work out. But sometimes silence can actually be encouraging. But what was certainly discouraging in this moment was the disciples, right? If you give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they were saying, Jesus, heal this woman so she gets out of here. She's being very loud, like heal her for, so she gets out of here. If you give them the benefit of the doubt, that's the best case scenario for them, right? Over and over in the Gospels, the disciples are not always getting the mark right, right? Which sometimes in a weird way to me is encouraging. If the people closest to Jesus that were face-to-face with Jesus didn't always get it right, it's okay that we don't always get it right either. And so, motivated by trying to get her to stop screaming, not by the fact that anything's going on with her daughter. They asked Jesus to send her away. And then in verse 24, Jesus breaks his silence. It says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Again, this is like, ugh. I thought this was going to work out. What is Jesus saying? Like, does he just have something against this woman? Like, what's going on? But actually, maybe you know, uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. 
This was part of Jesus' strategy all along. This is not something newly introduced here. In Matthew 10, uh, it's recorded that when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, he actually said something real similar to this. It's in Matthew 10, 5. It says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So why is Jesus saying this? Why is he saying go to the lost sheep of Israel? It's strategic. Christ's mission to Israel would be for the sake of the entire world. Or another way to say it is Jesus ministered to the Jewish people for the sake of the Gentiles. It's like if we were going to go on a mission of some kind here, we would not just all of a sudden say, okay, we're going on a mission and run separate directions and do our own thing. No, first we'd group up, we'd build a team, we'd go over our goals. That's what Jesus is doing here. By reaching Israel first, he's, he knows that's the best strategy to reach all the nations. So then in verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. So she's still encouraged, which I don't know if I would be, but she is still encouraged. But there's a lot of reasons to still be encouraged, right? One, Jesus has come to her country, probably something she never thought was actually going to happen. Jesus is here face-to-face with her at her home, at her hometown, Not something she thought was going to happen. Second, when she did ask for help, Jesus still has not said no. Right? She still hasn't heard a no, and she's face to face with him. And lastly, when the disciples tried to send her off, Jesus didn't respond to that. So she's still encouraged. But what's Jesus supposed to do here, right? What are his options? Because if he heals her, Gentiles from all around might hear about it and come rushing in. And then all of a sudden his mission to Israel is diluted because he's healing and doing ministry here. He knew that the best way to reach the Gentiles was to go through Israel first. So how's he handle it? Verse 26. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So now both of Jesus' replies after his initial silence are very negative, right? It's almost like he knows more what's not right to do than he does know what is right to do, right? This This text teaches us a lot about the struggle of Jesus to find the will of God, which again, for me, is encouraging. Because often the decisions that I'm trying to make are not what's right or wrong. It's like, God, what is right or what is slightly more right? Like, I can't quite figure this out. And so Jesus is struggling here to find the will of God. And it was probably precisely for his love of the Gentile people, because he loved the Gentile people so much that he wanted to get this right. And this is not an attempt to weaken an offensive text, but the term used for dog here is the term of a house dog, not of a wild dog which, again, is not the nicest thing to say, probably, but it does do something radical. It takes the Jewish people and the Gentile people, and it puts them under one roof. 
So she replies, Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I want to look at the difference between verse 24, 26, and 28 here for a second. It's almost like you wish you could be in the room when these things were happening because there's some things you just can't get from the actual text. But I feel like there is a slight difference here that's worth noting. In verse 24, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, he answered. It uses two words. The author uses two words. He answered. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Then... In verse 26, the author uses two words again. It says, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's almost, it's almost like this conversation is, is replies and answers, sure. But it's almost like Jesus is like looking around, processing this for himself while he's also processing it out loud in this room. But then in verse 28, there's a distinct difference that the author notes. It says, then Jesus said to her, It's almost like at this moment, he locked eyes with her in a different way. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed. Jesus knew at that moment that his father wanted to heal this woman. And his father was for this Gentile person and soon would be for all Gentile people. So... Jesus performed a third-party healing. He didn't heal that woman. She wasn't asking for that. She was asking for healing for her daughter. And so Jesus did. She wasn't even there, but Jesus healed her. So there's our passage. If it might still leave you some challenges, might still leave you some questions, like if Jesus had a 30-hour walk, why could he not discern and figure out the will of God on his walk there instead of having to sort all this out while in this talk with this woman. Or maybe your struggle is the fact that you have prayed for someone else, or you have had faith that God would heal someone else or save someone else's life. And you sit back and wonder, is it because of my faith? Is it because my faith's not as strong as hers that God didn't heal them? And I think we all know that this passage isn't in here to say, if you add up this equation of your faith, then this will happen. Like we all have lived life long enough to know that's not how it really works, right? So why, why is this passage important to have in here? Like what are we supposed to take from this? I want to highlight again the fact that Jesus started before this journey at the Sea of Galilee. He was walking on water. But then Jesus left Israel. The only recorded interaction while he left Israel was this one. After this interaction, he went back to the Sea of Galilee. He performed miracles. He healed people who were sick and lame and blind. And all those people that he healed would praise the God of Israel. So a major emphasis of this story is where Jesus chose to go. Out of the nation of Israel and into the danger. 
to start the process of spreading his message to all nations. We all know by the end of his ministry, it was time to start going to all nations. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And his influence would spread. It would shape Western civilization. It would spread to nation after nation after nation. This month, as a nation, we've spent time remembering and honoring the families impacted by September 11th, 2001. A few years ago, President Obama shared a story from that day. After the first tower was hit, a young man in his 20s was working in the other tower. He had time to call a friend and say, hey, I'm okay, the tower next to me was hit, I could feel the impact, I could feel the shake, but we're okay, we're evacuating. Then, minutes later, the tower he was in was struck with a second plane. In the first tower, no one above the 92nd floor would make it out alive. The plane hit around the 92nd floor. Some were killed instantly, but many were trapped above that level. In the second tower, the plane hit lower around the 78th floor. This man was above that zone. And by some miracle, he was able to find a stairwell. Later, it'd be discovered that was the only stairwell that was still intact in the plane. He had to clear a few things out of the way, but then a path to safety was right there in front of him. But he chose to go the other direction. He decided to risk his life for people he did not know. He covered his mouth and nose with a red bandana to, co to protect him from the smoke. He found fire extinguishers and put out flames. Eventually, he came up to a group of people huddled together on the floor, afraid to move out of a fear that the dark in the darkness, some part of the floor might collapse. He asked them to stand up to help each other if they could. And then he led them back to the stairwell that he had found. One woman couldn't walk for herself, so he helped carry her down dozens of flights of stairs. And then when they neared the bottom, he, he let them finish out the journey on their own. And again, he chose to go the other direction. In the first tower, no one would survive above the impact zone. But in the second tower, 18 people would survive from above where the plane hit. And at least 10 of those 18 people remember being helped by a man in a red bandana. When the tower collapsed, he was in the lobby about to go back up. Had he gotten out, he would have been the survivor from the highest floor. But instead of getting himself out to safety, he chose to go the other direction. He spent his final moments helping others. He gave his life so others might live. Earlier this month, Boston College honored Wells Crowther, the man in the red bandana. He was remembered for where he chose to go. 
not for himself, but for others. Jesus chose to leave Israel and go to Tyre and Sidon, demonstrating that he would be for all nations. And then Jesus chose to go to the cross, giving his life so others, so everyone might live. Let's pray. God, so often we feel like we're on the other side of some sort of line, like we can't get to where you want us to be. But thank you today for this reminder that it's not about us getting to a certain line, but it's about the fact that you cross that line to come to us. Over and over again, you would push the limits. You would go where no other religious people thought they should go to demonstrate your love for people, for us for all nations. So we're thankful. We're thankful to follow a God like you who would do anything for us. Jesus, today we spend our morning praising you, thanking you for who you are. Amen. I've got two questions to leave you with. Um, if you're going to a group, this week or if you're um, just driving home with family. Number one, what sticks out most to you from Jesus's trip to Tyre and Sidon and his interaction with the Canaanite woman? And it's okay if it's something that challenges you from this passage. Again, this is not the easiest one to read. Second, what is a direction you could choose to go for the sake of helping others.